Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today by two-thirds of the crew. Matasis, Doug Bowman, how are you guys doing? I'm excited for a little therapy session here. It was a tough weekend. Um, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, and that was a very tough game to watch and covering Virginia Tech. I saw 10 total points this weekend, so... Um, I'm, it, I don't know if I'll have as many talking points in this podcast, but we'll try. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I had a little better weekend than Matei, except I went to one of those games that Matei got to watch 10 points of, not the Packers game. Um, so yeah, it was fine. It was a, it was a good weekend in Boston, except for Friday from, uh, what was that? 730 till. About 8.45, it started to go real downhill. <laughs> I guess we got to get things started with the group therapy here. The Hokies went up to Boston in a game that a lot of people thought they had a decent chance to win. Our diagnosis, you score about 20 points against Boston College, you're probably coming away with a victory. Following Georgia Tech, we thought, well, that very well might be possible for Virginia Tech, especially given the quarterback situation at Boston College. Then Boston College comes out with a surprise. Phil Jerkovic returns. Turns out that didn't really matter. Phil Jerkovic was not very good, but unfortunately for Virginia Tech, the situation that we have been dreading since preseason, the exit of Braxton Burmeister happened, and the total offensive output on the day was a whopping three points. Virginia Tech falls 17-3 to in Chestnut Hill. Get us started. Vent. One of you. I, I think it's, you know, you look at this game, and I know so much was made about Phil Jerkovic, and obviously he's a phenomenal player. He's clearly not 100%, and, you know, the game plan didn't really revolve around him. And going into this game, I think we knew that if Virginia Tech could stop Garwo, that they had a good chance of keeping Boston College that was previously struggling. We mentioned in our podcast they scored 40 total points in their previous four games prior to Virginia Tech. Uh, They had kind of the one ticket on offense to go with, which was their ground game, and they were still able to establish it. I know the stats say that they ran for like 4.3 yards per carry, but it seemed like any time that Boston College wanted to get a first down that they pretty much could. Uh, As for Virginia Tech on offense, Braxton Burmeister, you know, goes down early in the game and Knox Kadem goes in and I think he completed one pass for three yards in the entirety of the first half. And that kind of tells you everything you need to know about the quarterback room at Virginia Tech. And it's really tough because this entire season we're harping on Braxton Burmeister and maybe it's a little unfair because, you know, he has been injured and finally he crumbles in this game, something unrelated to his shoulder. But the quality of the quarterbacks at Virginia Tech just isn't up to par. The expectations for Braxton Burmeister have not been met this year. And then Knox Kadem, who has been in the program for three years, comes into the game 
and looks like he was a part of a triple option high school styled team that never attempted a pass. He looked completely uncomfortable. I don't think the coaches did him any favors. It looked like he was running the same exact type of offense that Braxton Burmeister was. There, there didn't seem to be any simplicity in any of the routes or anything, any adjustments. It looked like the same exact game plan. And Virginia Tech still tried to rely on that ground game that we've seen for two weeks produce. And it's unfortunate because if Knox Kadem isn't completing a pass, the Boston College defense, which hasn't been great against the run, knows that there's one thing they have to watch out for, and that's Malachi Thomas and Raheem Blackshear. And it's it's just it was unfortunate. There was a lot of events that happened within the game that, quite honestly, were bad luck. But at the same time, this is a struggling Boston College team that is bringing back a quarterback with a broken hand, and you're only able to muster up three points. It's completely pathetic. It is 73 yards is the lowest output under the Justin Fuente era, and this is the first time they haven't scored a touchdown since 2014, that infamous weight game. So that tells you everything you need to know there, and Virginia Tech continues to break records in just the bad categories. Yeah, Matei, I mean, I'm right there with you, man. The one thing I want to make clear, and I feel like the vast majority of the fan base agrees with this, but it needs to be said. The fact that Braxton Burmeister went down and this happened is not an excuse for the coaching staff. More so, it's an indictment on the coaching staff. You should never be one player going down away from this. But Knox Kadem, who, as you mentioned, has been in the program now for a couple years, was completely ineffective. He did not look like someone who should be playing quarterback at the FBS level, let alone the Power 5 level. And the fact that, A, you have this wave of attrition in the transfer portal that made you see the starting quarterback at Tennessee, who is now second or third in the nation in passer rating, SEC Player of the Week, doing this all against better competition with lower competition on his side relative to his opponents with Quincy Patterson, who yes, might not have been the perfect quarterback in the world, but we saw against North Carolina against Notre Dame when he had his number called, he stepped up in a big way and what we got out of Knox Kadem, And this is no personal offense to the kid. I think it, it would be unfair to blame a kid because he's just not a quarterback that should be playing here, but he's what we got, and it's who we threw out there, and the results were disastrous. And again, Malachi Thomas, Raheem Blackshear, continue to be fine. 5.4 yards per carry, 5.6 yards per carry. The progression of the run game was still there, but Virginia Tech's not a good enough offense and certainly not a good enough running game to be a one-trick pony. Boston College knew what was happening. It became apparent that Knox Kadem wasn't going to do anything in the air, and you know, bad break here, whatever. You should expect those in Division One college football games. Not everything's going to go your way. You know, you fumble, whatever. It seemed like a lot of the time, the throws that Knox Kaden was able to make left whoever was on the receiving end of that ball out to drive. We saw players getting crushed. It wasn't pretty. And ultimately, the result was, I mean, ugly it isn't a strong enough term. Disgusting. I thought that Pittsburgh was bottoming out, but clearly I was wrong in that sense. And now with three games left to go, the only question I have is, can it get worse? Will it get worse? 
Luckily, I have Doug Bowman to answer that question for me. It certainly could. Uh, I don't think anything about, you know, Burmeister's. I haven't heard anything about his status yet for this week, but, you know, you, you certainly don't have much confidence in Virginia Tech scoring with, with Kadem at quarterback. Um, <laughs> any any kind of points would be, would be difficult. I mean, this week they've got a much easier matchup. Duke's terrible. Their offense has, you know, given up. I think it's they've given up 600-plus yards twice in a row 500 plus yards three games in a row um just just really really poor secondary so you know the <laughs> i think you got i think you look at it virginia tech could certainly win this game this weekend and is it better it's probably not going to be pretty it's going to be pretty ugly i would say especially if burmeister can't play this weekend um but i mean i don't Again, you don't have any confidence going against Miami or UVA. So, you know, what are you looking at a five and seven type season? That's clearly a disappointment. I will say that if Braxton Burmeister is hurt, here's the big question in my mind. Because not only did I think Knox Kadem isn't particularly good or particularly suited to be the starting quarterback of Virginia Tech, a program with aspirations in the ACC. I also think he's ill-fitted for the offense that Virginia Tech is trying to run. So if Burmeister can't go, we are teetering on the line of when the official hero of this podcast, Connor Blumerick or Blumrick or whatever you want to say could return, I think the offense would be in much better hands with him, right? I mean, I would personally love if he could come back. Um, I'm not sure what his status is, if he's if, if it's even possible, but just going back to the whole Knox Kadem thing, like, you know, he was, he was a late signee. He was a JMU commit. He was maybe number 2000, I believe, uh, in the prospect rankings for 24 seven sports. And it, it's just like, when you look at how Virginia tech has developed these quarterbacks, especially in this room and the guys they're pointing at saying, you know, Braxton Burmeister, we're taking him. And you just talked about Hennon hooker and Quincy Patterson. And we're taking that guy. We're trusting him to run this offense. He hasn't met expectations. But then when you look up at the backup position, at least being able to be capable of running an offense, I mean, they're showing that even the decisions within the Boston college game, I know they were at their 25 yard line and they chose not to go for it. But they're showing they have no confidence whatsoever in Knox Kadem. So not only is he not running an offense suited for him, but the offense that he is running, they show that they have no confidence in him. And it, it's just like it it gets to the point, and I'm sorry if this is, uh, you know, too much of a tangent, but it, like just the quarterback development is so depressing to look at at Virginia Tech because you look around the league, you look at the other ACC schools. I mean, Gunnar Holmberg, a guy that may not even suit up for Duke this upcoming weekend, he's another guy that's been at Duke for three years and all of a sudden things are starting to click. Miami, they have Derek King go down and all of a sudden Tyler Van Dyke or whatever his name is, is producing at a high level. Brennan Armstrong looked like he was a guy that wasn't going to do anything for UVA. And he's, you know, one of the nation's leading passers. Same goes for Kenny Pickett. So even if you look at the conference that Virginia Tech plays in, 
other coaches who may even be defensive minded coaches are able to figure something out with their quarterbacks to find success. And the guy that's labeled a quarterback guru, a quarterback whisperer cannot figure it out. And I don't believe that the amount of time that they have from now till Saturday that they can formulate a plan that's going to work for Knox Kadem. And that gets really tricky because Braxton Burmeister very, very well may be able to go. We've seen, you know, he probably shouldn't have played in half the games this year, but he's he's managed to find a way to play. And and if he's going to hang on and they continue to run the same offense, they're running for him. And at the last second, he can't play and Knox Kadem's going in. It's disastrous. So I think you you kind of have to make that decision soon. Um, Connor Blumrick would be I think he would be a great addition to if you're going to run the offense that uh that Braxton Burmeister has been playing if he's healthy again. Um, he's a guy that, you know, can run the zone read. You're relying on your run game anyway. It's not like you're going to ask any of these quarterbacks to throw 20 times a game. But, yeah, I don't know. It's just it, – it's it's really tough to, to look at any positives and say, you know, things are going to get better in the quarterback room. Doug, I mean, the Hokies didn't really even try to throw the ball – before Braxton Burmeister got hurt. I think he had one pass attempt in 14 plays before the injury. But then when Knox Caden did take the reins, the offensive game plan seemed to make absolutely no sense. So make some sense of it to me. What was Justin Fuente going for? Well, you know, I think clearly with Trey Turner out, we talk, we've talked about this. There's only three guys that they target with the football. So you move turn you take Turner out of the equation, and the only guy left for, is basically Tavion Robinson at wide receiver and Raheem Blackshear, and you know we saw that even with this game. So I I think the strategy of running the football heavily is was probably the right decision in this case. Um, that's clearly the strength of your team at without Trey Turner at wide receiver. Um, you know. Removing him allows Boston College to just bracket Tavion Robinson and make things really, really difficult for the passing game. So, you know, I think I think that was the right decision going in. And then you get throwing the curveball, having to go with Kaden when when Burmeister gets hit, hurt. And you kind of try and keep the same game plan going. But it was pretty clear, obviously, eventually Virginia Tech was going to have to throw the ball to win the game at some point. Um I think it's Matei covered it pretty well. I think it's it, it, if you want to boil down the Justin why the Justin Fuente era is coming to an end at Virginia Tech, it's in its simplest terms, it's because they've failed at the quarterback position since 2017, um, and they've made the wrong choices there, and that's how you get left with you know Kadem was supposed to be like. Uh, who was the quarterback that transferred to Duke from Clemson? Chase Bryce. Chase Bryce. He's the he's like the three-star unheralded depth guy that you bring in because you know there's going to be some attrition and you know that you're going to need some depth there at some point, but you hope he never plays. So that, that he is the last man standing there um, is an indictment of roster management. And then you look at the wide receiver position and – the fact that Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson are the only reliable wide receivers that they can get the football to, and that when Trey Turner goes down, that 
that's basically it for the passing game. That's directly on the coaching staff and what's happened over the last three, four years. And it's directly on the coaching staff for what's happened in the first eight games of the year when you talk about Dwayne Lofton and Jaden Payute and and Jalen Jones and all those guys about how you know how much hype they had going into the year. And then you spend eight weeks of the season not throwing the ball, not getting them in, like not even close to getting them involved in the offense. And now you're in week nine. Uh, Joseph Wente talked about this last year, and he talked about it even going into the stretch this year. It's hard to play eight games in eight weeks. You need a lot of bodies, and they just tried to go through eight games in eight weeks with no depth at quarterback and no depth at wide receiver. So I think, you know, it's just another example or reason of why things have gone south for him very quickly. It's definitely the double entendre there, right, where – you see the lack of development in the guys on the roster, and you see the lack of depth that's created by the attrition that you've seen over the course of Justin Fuente's tenure. And suddenly you have, you know, one stone being the failures of the Fuente administration crushing those two birds. And you are you basically have no margin for error with the opening day roster that you brought in. And that was the diagnosis that we made that a lot of people in the Virginia Tech sphere made. You know, your opening day roster is moderately talented and can win football games. But as people start to go down, as things happen over the course of a football season, which they always do and they always will, you're going to need real meaningful depth. And Virginia Tech just doesn't have that right now. And whether it's attrition or lack of development for players that came in with a lot of hype, players who, you know, the coaching staff and the players on the team who are, you know, more media friendly during the off season spewed their names to us over and over and over again. And, and we as pundits and fans came in with such high expectations for, and ultimately it's a ton of sound and fury. It ain't signifying much. Can we, can we, can we talk about the hidden hooker development? Yes, please. Yes. But that, I, I tw- that's like the number one thing I tweet anymore. It's the only positive. Uh, uh, so I don't, it's not that surprising that he's really good, right? Like, I think people, I think people, fans, definitely some, some people, and certainly the coaching staff quit on his development. Like, obviously, they quit on it entirely too early, but like, we're talking about, like, against North Carolina in 2019, the game that he gets hurt that eventually goes to six overtimes. I pulled it up on, uh, I pulled, I pulled up the box scores, eight of 12 for 127 yards, one touchdown. 10, 10 carries, 49 yards before. He, I mean, he was locked in that day. If you remember that before he went out with the injury, Virginia Tech was rolling offensively. Flash forward a year, same team, same game, Carolina. Tech falls behind early, eventually goes to Hooker, coming back from COVID. He comes off, he rips off 7 of 13, 136 yards, two touchdowns, picks up 29 yards and another touchdown. He was ripping that day, too. He's perfectly fine and then you know they decide that he's not good enough or he's not and he eventually gets run off and goes to goes to Tennessee I think that is I think from where he was in 2019 particularly at the end of that of that stretch to to that he's not still the starting quarterback of Virginia Tech is like the most dumbfounding aspect of this he's clearly got plenty of potential and all this stuff and 
I'm sure there was plenty behind the scenes that went on there with him, but I think that's, you know, you picked the wrong quarterback, essentially. Frankly, it always seemed to me, given how quickly they were to sort of make their snap judgment on him after a bad game against Wake Forest last year, given the fact that the reins were given to Ryan Willis and it seemed like Willis had a lot more leeway or time to give before they ultimately made the switch to Hooker, which obviously was the right decision that begged the question, why was this decision not made earlier? It all calls into question. Is this coaching staff more worried about their initial judgment being right? And you're probably right, Doug. There was probably a lot of things that went on behind the scenes, but Virginia Tech fans look one state over and see 21 touchdowns to two interceptions, SEC Offensive Player of the Week, now being heralded as an NFL draft prospect. Where's your quarterback whisperer? <laughs> like, when, when you're, when you, he's clearly found some, found a system that works, but like when you have a quarterback that has that kind of potential and has that, that kind of clear ability at this point, like, You've got to stick with him through, like, this isn't a, you know, <laughs> Virginia Tech's never been a quarterback factory. It's like, get the next guy in there. Like, Hooker had control of that offense from the time he took over against Miami in 2019 and was the starter throughout 2020. Just, it was his team, much like it was Burmeister's team throughout the 2021 offseason. And to just go away from him, you know, the Wake Forest game was not good, but like this is this is college football. You're not going to be good every single week, week in and week out. So, um, you know, I think it's a. at the end of the day, the Justin Flint era is defined by they didn't get the quarterback position right since since Gerard Evans left in 2016. Yeah. And last thing I'll say on this is the lack of faith that they had in Hooker. I mean, I don't even know if it's lack of faith, but lack of whatever. Hendon Hooker, inserting him into the lineup following the Duke game in 2019, essentially saves Justin Fuente's job the first time. Because you go back-to-back losing seasons, especially the way things were trending in 2019, there's a decent chance he's out, or at least the hot seat is on fire at that point. And what did Hendon Hooker do? He brought consistent quarterback play. He didn't make mistakes. And there are very few examples, even at times when he struggled in 2020. I mean, Wake was an exception, but good quarterbacks have bad games sometimes. Hendon was a high completion percentage guy who the criticism might have been he's limited in the passing game. But now we look at what they're doing with him at Tennessee. They're kind of letting him rip it a little bit more. And he's doing so... It's still a pretty consistent level. It's befuddling to me that the quarterback that essentially turned things around and saved this coaching staff's ass, they just let him run out of town. And last thing on Hinden, but he's doing it at Tennessee for a head coach that did not recruit him, that for a coaching staff that got turned over after he'd committed to Tennessee and and he didn't even start this year, and he now he's come on. Like, there's no reason for him to be having the success at Tennessee, except he's, you know, a pretty talented athlete. Honestly, shouts to him. Dude is, you know, talk about, like, the perpetual underdog. <laughs> like, doesn't start over Willis, 
starts, turns the season around, then has Braxton Burmeister looking over his shoulder, gets run out of town, goes to Tennessee. Coach they immediately fired. bring in Joe Milton and give him the job, and he's just balling, man. Good for you, Hendon Hooker. Hokie Nation will always love you. But looking at the game, down by 14 points. Five minutes left in the fourth quarter. Virginia Tech hands the ball and punts. A lot of people take this as Justin Fuente waving the metaphorical white flag on the season and on his tenure here at Virginia Tech. Do you guys agree with that sentiment? Yes and no. When you look at, and I feel like so many times when you're dissecting the decisions of Justin Fuente and the coaching staff, you can understand some of the reasoning behind it. Um, It's funny that everyone's saying, you know, get a stats guy for the highest win probability. Um, There's like a Twitter account that, you know, analyzes decisions and says, what's the highest probability of winning? And every time they review Virginia Tech play, it's like the opposite was always the highest percent chance of ultimately ending up winning the game. But when you look at it and you're obviously you're you're down 14 points, I think that's just it shows again. You know, I said this before, but the confidence in Knox Kadem running the offense, you're down 14 points, you're punting it, which is fine, right? You're, you're it was a good punt. You end up putting BC all the way back, but you're just delaying the inevitable. Your offense is going to have to do something. So I feel like so many times we see Justin Fuente and you're just like, just this once, take a chance, like trust your guys. Maybe something will happen. Maybe something will click. All of a sudden it could be 17 to 10. Who knows? Maybe there's a freak play, missed coverage. You never know. You have to take a chance. And I feel like in that position, when things are so dire, that's the perfect time to do that. You really have nothing to lose. You're going to be down. I don't know. There's no chance under five minutes that uh, there's going to be a better opportunity that arises. You're the, you're the quarterback whisperer. Like we keep saying, you're the offensive minded guy, have the ball in your offense's hands. Your defense isn't going to score you points on that next drive. BC was running the ball the entire time. And it's just another example of, is it is it the worst decision in the world for for that specific moment? No, but you you're down 14 points. You have to take a chance. You have to you have to show even if you don't believe it that you have confidence in your guys because they're walking away from the huddle and they're saying our coach doesn't trust us. We can't. We have the ball literally in our hands and we're not being trusted to even give ourselves a chance to win. I, I gotta say, and I'm curious if you guys agree. There's been a lot of criticism surrounding this team so far this year, but I don't think we ever saw them play flat, play emotionlessly until this game, second half of this game. And I think the fans felt the same way. I mean, you know, I'm driving, I was was on my way to Chapel Hill. So I was listening to the game on the radio first time I saw it. And I'm hearing these descriptions from the BC radio guys of how, inept Virginia Tech's offense looks and by the time I get to Chapel Hill and see the second half it just doesn't look like these guys care because I feel like in the same way that I felt in the car down 10 nothing at halftime or even after Burmeister went out 10 points down felt like it was way too much to overcome 17 to 3 especially I mean is this the game where the straw broke the camel's back in that regard and did the coaching decisions reflect that did influence that perhaps uh i you know it's 
I think the I think most of the team saw the the writing on the wall as far as the offense is concerned and how unlikely it was going to be to 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 rally in that game. Um, I'm sure the fact that it was like 32 degrees did not help the energy level on the sideline. Uh, I know it did not help it in the stands, but it, it was more. It was just right. It felt like a recognition across the board of of that. It's it was it was impossible. It was it just wasn't going to happen. Um, you know the defense held BC to seventeen points. Uh, pretty decent effort there to to hang in there through <laughs> through what was clearly a you know a no hope situation for them where they were you know they were going to have to score two touchdowns through pick sixes or whatever to um, to win that game, <laughs> but. Uh, I, I, you know, I just, it wasn't, I don't think it was quitting, quitting on the season as much as it was just recognizing that without, with Kata at quarterback, you're just, and no Trey Turner, I think you're toast as far as offensively. And that just meant that the game was over at that point. And, you know, it, it is what it is. Matei, a lot of people calling for Taj Bullock during that game. And, you know, I, I've never seen Taj Bullock play, but I've seen Knox Kadem play now, and I feel like it merits calls for someone else. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, four games left, you got nothing to lose. Yeah, I mean, yeah, at, at, at this point, I can, I can see it. He's more, if you're going to run the offense that Virginia Tech is running right now, again, went on a whole tangent about it, Taj Bullock is probably the best equipped you're talking about a guy that barely has a shoulder right now or ribs in Braxton Burmeister. You have Knox Kadem, who's more of a pro-style passer. And you have Connor Bulmerick, Blumrick, that no one knows how his knee is doing. So, you know, if you're going to put him in, I do, I do worry a little bit because we mentioned this on, I think it was right after Pittsburgh. Um Prior to Blumrick's injury, he was running scout team. He was running with walk-ons. He was, you know, serving the other team's playbook more than he was serving his own. So how much does he know this offense? Does the offense, as currently constructed, give him a chance to succeed? Maybe you just have to, you know, throw the baby out of bathwater, as Whit Babcock would say, and, and see what he can do just... Um, you know, learn on the fly, but you know, you're likely without Trey Turner yet again, maybe since they're not flying anywhere, he can suit up. I don't, it sounded like a very weird injury from how Justin Fuente was talking about at the presser today. But, you know, if you're relying on Tavion Robinson, um, as your number one guy and you don't really have anyone behind him, you know, throwing the ball doesn't look great. Now, if you're going to commit to the Malachi Thomas, the Raheem Blackshear approach and have Taj Bullock run read, you know, the zone read, you know, maybe that's simplified enough to, to have a chance at least with his legs, um, you know, mix in a pop pass here and there something, you know, a, a little trickery, a little dink and dunk. But um, I think there are, there are definitely, you know, after seeing what Knox Kadem did on the field, I, I hear that crowd calling, for Bullock a little bit louder, but I still think looking at it now, I don't think he's going to find a ton of success. I don't think he's going to be the key that wins Virginia tech. Any of these games. I think it depends on the pieces around him. 
Um, I think your best chance at winning games, quite honestly, is going back to Burmeister. He's the only guy that's been capable of, of you know, at least the two weeks prior running the offense well enough to put up, you know, a lot of output. So, yeah, it, it's a tough call for sure. Knowing Justin Fuente, he's not going to do it. But, um, yeah, I, I personally would be curious to see what he could do on the football field. But, you know, realistically, I don't think we see him for the remainder of the season. I I think it makes all the sense of the world to play him here against Duke. All right. You, you mentioned he wasn't he was a scout team quarterback until until the week of Pittsburgh, which is when he got bumped up to third string. So he's had Pittsburgh week, Syracuse week, Georgia Tech week, Boston College week. So he's had four or five weeks, you know, actively preparing. You don't get all that many reps as the number three quarterback. But, you know, he's in some form of the system. This is a coaching staff that in the 2018 season carved out a small package for Quincy Patterson, who they had absolutely no intention of playing for more than four games and also no intention of throwing the ball remotely down the field. Um, In addition, this is an all coaching staff that clearly doesn't have any trust in Knox Kadem or belief in his ability to score, you know, if, you, if he's the quarterback this this week, what are you you're trying to win this game 13 to 10 or 19 to 14 or something like that? Like. I think it makes, you know, all the sense of the world. He's not I don't think you start. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Todd Bullock can play him 60 snaps or 70 snaps, but, you know, if, if Burmeister can't go, then I don't see any reason not to not to give Bullock a shot here after after last week you know I think you can get him ready as ready as possible Duke's Duke's defense is terrible number one it's Duke number two and you know you're at home so it's not like you're asking the kid to go in and play on the road um you know at Miami or even like at UVA like this is your chance to do something different. I mean, if you just keep throwing Knox Kadem out there over and over again and getting the same result, like what, what's the other option? Yeah. Again, it, it just does seem like sort of a metaphorical white flag. If we know, I mean, if this is what the kid brings to the offense, it's not going to be enough, perhaps enough to beat Duke, but high ceiling is what I'd be looking for. Who has the best chance to, give you a player too that pops up that could, you know, put some juice in the offense and then you kind of just got to hope the defense does their thing. Uh, speaking of the defense, you know, we said that 20 points would be enough for the offense. Virginia Tech's defense allows 17. Phil Zerkovic did not look good. The running game for Pat Garwo was pretty decent. I mean, he did what Boston College needed him to do for them to come away with a victory. Albeit that would have been a total of four points. (laughs) 
What do you make of the defensive performance? A good one or are the numbers deceiving in that sense? It was fine. They did what they had to do to stop Djokovic. You know, I don't, it seems like he wasn't quite ready to come back, but, you know, gave it a, gave it a go. But I mean, you know, you got to stop the run and they clearly had no chance of stopping the run in the second half. Tough situation they were put in by the offense. Um, you know, you're talking about looking at the drive chart. Virginia Tech's offense ran, you know, eight plays twice on drives was the longest drive of the game. They didn't hold the ball for more than four minutes and 25 seconds at a time. And that was the first drive of the game. This is a, you know, the defense did as well as they could have and kept them to 17 points. And, you know, that was a, <laughs> I've been saying about this about other teams the last couple of weeks, but if you go from just a historically bad night of offense to just like a, you know, normally bad night of offense, Virginia Tech has a chance to win this game. I think that's all you can ask from the, from the defense. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, if, if two plays go differently there, if Dorian Strong gets down after his interception and if that funky, you know, immaculate reception type play hits the ground instead of Boston College catching it and then going for it on fourth down, you you talk about a different, even a different Boston College offensive output. So, uh, you know, I mean, they were, they were fine. They did what they, they, they did what they were supposed to do. I think Zay Flowers only beat them down the field once. And, and Garwo, we knew, was going to be tough to bring down consistently. Doug, I think it's funny because in your preview article, isn't that the question that you posed about Boston College? You said Boston College has been really, really bad, but what if they go from really, really bad to just bad? Then what's Virginia Tech dealing with? And I, where we're standing right now, given the level that Virginia Tech's defense has played, <laughs> that's the question that... Duke, but more notably, you know, UVA and Miami are going to be asking. It's like, what if we get an average night out of the Virginia Tech offense? What are we dealing with there, given what they have on the defensive side of the ball? Well, you know, that was, I said that about Boston College when we thought, uh, what's the guy's name? Dennis Grossel? Yeah, Dennis Grossel. Grossel was going to be playing quarterback. I mean, this is like, so against Duke, Miami, and uh, UVA, I would write the same thing about the Virginia Tech offense, assuming that Knox Kadem is going to play quarterback. But if Braxton Burmeister comes back, if he's healthy for Miami or UVA, then you could very certainly could get, you know, an average Virginia Tech, you know, the Georgia Tech or Syracuse type Virginia Tech offensive performance. It wasn't it wasn't on the defense. It was all on the offense. Your offense gets 12 first downs and you give Boston College nearly 37 minutes worth of possession eventually they're going to wear down it was it was tough that it seemed like there was a few injuries on the defensive line that kind of you know helped boston college continue to to push forward they weren't particularly great on third down that's the one thing i'll say but other than that they knew what they needed to do they did a pretty good job you only gave up 17 points your offense has to do better this is just kind of the defense maybe if you're going to critique them is just a product because of how bad the offense was. Duke on the horizon here. And here's your fun fact. I withheld this for you guys in (laughs) the pre pod conversation, Virginia tech an 11 point favorite at home against the Duke blue devils. 
Can they score? Can they score eleven points? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Oh, uh, I don't know. Vegas always knows. I mean, didn't it, you went down to the UNC Wake Forest game, right? And that yeah. was uh, UNC minus three or so. Two and a half. So the, two and a half. So they always know. Maybe they know that Taj Bullock is going to suit up or Connor Bulmeric. I mean, that's the only explanation because Knox Kadem hasn't even completed 11 passes in his career. So putting up 11 points, I'm not so sold on that if Knox Kadem is the guy this weekend. Doug, I'm sure you got the preview going. Duke, you know, the Cutcliffe era seems like it's winding down. Unfortunately, it's fizzling out after what's been a remarkable tenure given where the Duke program was when he took it over in the mid part of the first decade of this century. But yeah, kind of back to square one right now for Duke, huh? Yeah, I think they're four and 19 in their last 23 ACC games. And I think, Oh, for their last 10. Um, and they've got, they've lost 93 to seven to uh, Wake Forest and UVA. Their defense has struggled certainly in recent weeks. They've also played, you know, the three top offenses in the league and UVA, Wake, and Pitt back-to-back. Yeah, uh, Mateo Durant, who he's been at Duke forever now. Um, he's going to – he's the guy that you need to know about on offense. Um, Holmberg, their quarterback, actually got hurt against Pitt last week, so he might not even play this week. Um, their, their backup is a freshman who's – you know, he's developing and <laughs> if David Cutcliffe had four more years to develop him, he might turn into something, but it doesn't look like Cutcliffe is going to make it. Durant is going to probably break the record for single season rushing yards at Duke. I think he needs like 200 more yards over the last three games to set the record. Um, they have two really, really solid wide receivers, Jalen Calhoun and Jake Bobo. Bobo is going to catch a ton of passes. I think he's been targeted like uh, he's been targeted 81 times. It's fourth most in the ACC, and that's most on Duke by like 30. So they throw him the ball all the time. Defensively, uh, you know, last year they had Chris Rumpf and uh, Victor. Hard to pronounce last name. Victor Dimkiji or something like that. Yeah, I think it was Yeah, and they were they were, you know, elite level pass rushers. Don't have that this year. Um, defensive tackle, though. Let me find his name. Dwayne Carter is is the guy. You got you got to watch for pressure coming down the middle. He's got he's got thirty three pressures on the year and twenty four hurries, which are the most in the ACC. So I guess you could make an argument that he's the best pass rusher in the conference from the defensive tackle spot. Shaka Hayward seems like he's been there forever too decent linebacker they have some good athletes on defense but they just give up tons of plays um tons of big plays through there they're they've give up the third most 20 plus yard plays in the fbs 60 and 44 of those are through the air um which is 128 the head of arkansas state and umass so you know we've kind of been touching on this throughout the podcast but if like <laughs> if you could pick the team to go into the game with Knox Kadem as your quarterback, like this is probably it, or Taj Bullock, whoever you want to play at quarterback, this is probably the best team that you could be playing at if you're if you're Virginia Tech. They haven't held an opponent under six yards per play since Northwestern in week three, and even that was five point eight seven yards per play. So I mean just a 
just a brutal defense and you know the offense is if you can shut down Durant then then I don't you know they their passing attack is a lot of short to intermediate Holmberg before he got hurt has the fewest downfield passing attempts in the ACC out of anybody um so it's just a lot of short short passes and then they try and you know get you focused on the line of scrimmage and throw a deep ball to Calhoun basically is the passing game um so you know I think it's it's even with all we said about Virginia Tech and their quarterback situation in the offense I think it still sets up you know they should they still have a decent clearly Vegas thinks it at minus 11 um but you know I think they still have a, a really good chance to win this game um you know, I was looking when you, when you said they're eleven point favorites. I pulled up uh, November twenty second, two thousand and eight. Virginia Tech played Duke at home in in Lane Stadium. Obviously, they, when they play at home, they play at Lane Stadium. Correct. Uh, yes the the game the game kicked off at five thirty, so it was a little later start, but it was thirty degrees. This this uh, this week, I think the low temperature is going to get down in the thirties. And it was a miserable, miserable day. It was a 14-3 final, which covers your 11 points there. Actually, it gives you a little push. But, um, you know, that that feels like it has the potential to be a similar game this week. I just want to throw in one stat here. Um, obviously, Duke's offense doesn't look horrible if you look at it statistically. But, um, I mean, obviously, their their defense is horrific. It's the worst power five defense in the nation, in the country. Um, but things have particularly gotten worse the last few weeks. They've been outscored 147 to 35 in the last three weeks. Maybe that's why the spread is 11 points. That's a lot of points scored on and not a lot of points for them. That includes uh, a zero-point effort against uh, Virginia and I believe a seven-point effort. I don't know who they played against in that game, Wake. but Wake, Wake Forest, and those aren't good defenses by any means. So, um, yeah, they're they're yeah. definitely getting worse at at the wrong time. They're <laughs> they're they're atrocious on third downs. Forty eight percent third down conversions. Teams basically get it every other time against them. Um, they gave up six hundred yards of total offense to Kansas. You know, you could go on and on. All right, gentlemen. Let's get to our picks here. Doug, you started off. Or our yeah, our picks. Pick pick in one game. Whatever. <laughs> uh like I said, I think Virginia Tech, despite everything with offense, and I think they have a pretty decent chance of winning this game. As I say every week, it's not gonna be pretty. Um if Holmberg plays, I you know, Duke probably feels a little more comfortable, but um Riley Leonard is the backup quarterback's name. Uh, he he's a they'll design a little more designed runs for him than than they would for Holmberg. But Holmberg is one of the most accurate passers in the ACC. So if they get him back, throwing to Bobo and Calhoun, you know, I, I the, you feel better about their offense. But you know, this is all about this is this game's all about shutting down Mateo Durant and and getting ahead. If you get ahead of Duke and force them to have to throw the ball to, to catch up, you know, that largely negates what Durant can do to you on the ground. I think Virginia Tech can figure out a way to get 17 or 20 points. 
uh, you know, I don't know how, uh, <laughs> but you know, Duke's all, Duke's defense is that bad. So, you know, I think I'm going to go 20 to 13 Virginia Tech. I guess in this pick, it might be worthwhile to clarify the assumptions that you're making with who will be playing quarterback for each team. So are you assuming that it's going to be Burmeister or Kadem and Holmberg or the alternative? I think it'll be Kadem for Virginia Tech and Taj Bullock. And I think it'll be uh, the backup for Duke. Uh, Holmberg landed on his shoulder. It looked like he broke his collarbone or something of that nature. So, you know, if I guess if I'm David Cutcliffe and I'm, I'm pretty convinced I'm getting fired, it doesn't, you know, you're not really looking to develop the freshman Leonard. You'll play the play the best player. But um, yeah, it, it didn't it didn't look great. He didn't come back. It was it happened in the second quarter and then he didn't come back after halftime. So um, I would be surprised. All right, Matei. I'll start off by saying I think it's going to be Riley Leonard as well for Duke. Gunnar Holmberg was also carted off after being in the injury tent, which is usually a terrible sign. Um, and then for Virginia Tech, I like the discussion we had about creating a package for Taj Bullock, and I think that would be very beneficial, especially against this defense that has given up 600-plus total yards of offense to two of their previous opponents and averaging around 500 yards of total offense given up in the last three weeks. I would love that, but I'm not expecting that. I think it will be Knox Kadem, and quite honestly, I don't know how much that matters in this game. I think it's with both teams. The priority has to be establishing that run game and no matter how you get it, you have to put up the early lead. I don't think it's going to be the back and forth type offensive performance from either team. And I think if both teams want the best chance at winning for Virginia Tech, it's, you know, we've seen it for it's it's Malachi Thomas. He gives you the best chance. Raheem Blackshear establishing the run game, draining the clock, um, you know, just really depleting the Duke defense and establishing a lead and giving your defense some cushion to work with. If Virginia tech has to play behind with Knox Kadem, it's going to be extremely ugly. If Duke has to play from behind with Riley Leonard and throwing it, it's going to be extremely ugly. I'm going with Virginia tech. Um, I, the number to beat, I think for, you know, especially in this game, 300 yards of total offense, 20 points. I think that's perfectly reasonable against this caliber of defense. I don't know. Um, it seems like a lot to ask. I, it's a it's a ton to ask from, you know, the offensive guru of Justin Fuente's unit. But, you know, I'm going to go like a 17-13 Virginia Tech. Um, I think it's going to look like a, a, a wide margin of, of four points, even though the scoreboard is going to be so close. Uh, yeah, it's a tough one. But you guys did. I was going to pick Duke. Look, here's why. Things have never looked worse than they did last week. Also, my father is a Duke alumni. He has come to two Virginia Tech Duke games in Blacksburg, 2013 and 2019. Both of them were Duke victories. So he's got that going for him. But Unfortunately, Gunnar Holmberg's Heisman candidacy has come to an end, presumably. 
And I'm assuming that Duke's backup quarterback also isn't very good. But Deo Durant worries me, though, because teams have obviously been able to run the ball on Virginia Tech. And as much as we give, I mean, obviously, Phil Dracovic wasn't good, and he was more of a threat to pass. But it was the Pat Garwo show last weekend, and Virginia Tech still really wasn't able to stop him when it mattered. I think Durant's a better running back than Garwo. So that does concern me. Got a little Sean Tucker in him. He's got a little Sean Tucker in him, yes. Which, by the way, we can play a how many Heisman votes will Sean Tucker get at the end of the season playing for an irrelevant ACC bottom feeder, but that's besides the point. But if it's the backup quarterback for Duke, I'm going to go 17-10 Virginia Tech in a rock fight that no one will watch. Do we know what gate? What what? Uh, sorry to cut you off. Do we know what network this is being? This seems like the perfect RSN game. I'm just saying. ACC Network, baby. Perfect. I probably can't even watch it. Tax shaver. Yeah, the Spurtle will be uh, out in force. Uh, all right. Couple of things to add at the end. Uh, number one, shout out to Changa Hodge. Justin Fuente mentioned in the press conference, this dude's football career was over, but. He was on the field against Boston College following the torn ACL a year ago as, you know, a transfer senior. It's cool to see a guy come back from that. Number two, as bad as it was to see Virginia Tech's offense play, I do like watching offense. So UNC Wake Forest was really fun. Uh, 58 to 53, I believe the final score there. So I have a question for you guys. 58 to 55, excuse me. A question for you guys. So we'll go with the 58 points for North Carolina. Does Virginia Tech score 58 points the rest of the way, all three games combined? No. Yeah, I'm going to go no. I think, you know what? I'm going to counter that. I'm going to go yes. The The quality of, of defenses that they're going to face, I can see them putting up, I mean, if everything goes right, 25 points against Duke, you're pretty much halfway there. And then, you know, Miami and Virginia have given up a lot of points as well. It's not, you know, it's crazy to even hypothesize about this. But I'm going to I'm going to go with the over there, but slightly. So I was looking this up earlier today. This is this is related to this. Virginia Tech has scored one hundred and ninety five points this year. Not great. That would be the first time this would be the first year that Virginia Tech does not score over 300 points in a season since 2013. They scored 293 that year. So you've got you got to get 100 or 98 to break the, you know, the worst year in recent memory. And before that, I, I stopped going back after 2009. But but to put it in perspective, most years with a competent Virginia Tech offense, it's a 400-point season, basically. So they're about 100, 125 points behind where they typically would be. All right. These are basic questions, so I didn't necessarily want to get to them, but we can just rapid fire here. Does anyone disagree that this team finishes one and two down the stretch? I do not. I think that's accurate. I agree. Does anyone disagree that Justin Fuente's fate is 100% sealed and there's no coming back from this? I agree. I agree as well. (laughs) See, these are things that are basically baked into the cake at this point, so we don't really need to waste real good podcast time uh, debating it. I will say, 
Scott Frost, credit to him. He somehow saved his job <laughs> at Nebraska. And I know that there was a few Virginia Tech Hokie fans on Twitter today saying, I can only imagine this happening to Justin Fuente. Um, <laughs> I don't think it will, but certainly credit to Scott Frost for somehow convincing the athletic department of did Nebraska. You, did you see around. what Trev Albert said? I did not. He said it was basically like uh, looking at the data. It's obviously it's obvious that this probably won't work, but we're going to do it anyway because he's a porn <laughs> husker. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, look, you got a very large. It seems like by the end of the year, there's going to be a lot of big time programs looking for coaches. Nebraska ain't the landing spot that it used to be. The guy loves the program. Obviously, he's an alumni of the program, former quarterback. You've seen him win before. You negotiate down the buyout for the next year, force him to fire everybody, and, you know, see what happens. It's it's not the worst thing in the world. It's something that Whip Babcock could have made Justin Fuente do a few years ago, but he didn't. So, so here, here we are. <laughs> here's But here's the thing. Like, Scott Frost just now just fired his entire offensive coaching staff, which is what, you know, theoretically – Justin Fuente, you could make an argument, should have done last year as a last-ditch effort to save his tenure at Nebraska, or if you're talking about... But, like, who's going to go be your offensive coordinator for a year at Virginia, at Virginia Tech or Nebraska when you know the coach is on, like, the extreme hot seat, when you could be out of a job by week six of next year? Like, who... <laughs> Who's going to Lincoln to sign up to be Scott Frost's offensive coordinator with, you know, not even an ounce of job security? I mean, it's certainly not ideal. <laughs> but if we remember back to when Frank Beamer changed offensive coordinators at the tail end of his tenure, all he could do was get Scott Leffler, who had just been fired as Auburn's offensive coordinator. Who is coordinator. a head coach now. <laughs> He's a head coach. <laughs> yes, but. It, it, you, the candidate pool is is slim when you're at this point of your coaching career or coaching tenure. Also, people on Twitter geek me when I satirically quote tweet, you know, Akron's coach is fired midway through the season. He was three and 27 on the year. And I quote tweet that with a candidate to look out for for the Virginia Tech opening. And, you know, 95 percent like, ha, ha, ha. 5% people just like coming from my throat. Like, what are you talking about? We don't want a loser like that. I don't know. Come on, people. Figure out the sarcasm. Last question. Who's your ACC championship game matchup? If you had to pick today, who's going to be in the ACC championship game? I, th I think there's no doubt Wake Forest loses at least two more games just to make the Dave Clawson uh, candidacy a little tougher to sell. Um, <laughs> making the eventual hire. Yes, non-conference loss, by the way. Just putting it out there, non-conference loss against UNC. They got NC State this weekend, so... Has NC State lost an ACC game? Lost to... Miami. Oh, uh, that's right. I think NC State... <laughs> Is Pitt, Pitt still the favorite, but Miami, Miami's right there, right? So the Pitt... So UVA plays Notre Dame this week. And then they play Pitt next week. So if Pitt beats UVA, it's essentially over. But then if UVA beats Pitt, then basically the only way that UVA is not going to the conference championship game is if Virginia Tech beats them. So the Pitt-UVA game next week is a de facto coastal 
championship, sort of. There is, I think, a circumstance. I think Pitt might still have to play someone else that's halfway decent, maybe Carolina, that Miami could win out and sneak in. All right, I'm going barn burner. NC State, Pittsburgh, and Charlotte. Let's go. Matek? I'm going, I'm going with uh with Dave Clawson, future Virginia Tech head coach, Dave Clawson, Wake Forest, and I'm going with Pittsburgh. I think obviously, yeah, I, I looked it up. Pittsburgh has to play UNC and Syracuse. I could totally see them losing to Syracuse. Um, but that I is think a trap game the last week of the season in the yeah. carrier dome. Oh, that's so tough, actually, when when your eyes are already set on what's in front of you and then you have to play Sean Tucker and Garrett Schrader and try to tackle them in the open field. That's it's not a fun challenge. But, yeah, I'm going to go Wake Forest, Pittsburgh. I think that's the easy answer, but I think it's the right answer. It, it is tough on the Atlantic side, right, because you have NC State or you have Wake playing NC State, Clemson, Boston College, and then you have NC State playing Wake, Syracuse, UNC. So all of those games, I mean, obviously one of them is against each other, but it, it's not impossible to envision anyone dropping any of those games. I'll take, I don't know. I want Wake badly. Wake's the team I'm riding with for the rest of the year, but it's tough to see that game and, and the nature in which they lost, you know, allowing 58 points and having a ton of faith compared to NC State, who I think is maybe the most complete team in the conference. So I'll take the Wolfpack. And the other side, I think that, uh, I hate to say it, UVA will beat Pitt, go to the championship. Sorry. A lot of folks don't want to hear that, but a lot of folks don't want to hear the truth of a lot of what's happened so far this year, but it's happening. Worst possible case scenario, play Can I just bring out. this back full circle here? Go for it. Bring it back to the Duke game. We're talking about Wake Forest. They gave up 56 points at Army. Three weeks ago, they gave up 50, 58 to Carolina, and Duke scored seven. So that's, you know, that's all you really need to know. <laughs> Give the people an ounce of hope as we close out this podcast. Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT's Coop 24-7 Sports. Andrew, Alex, Doug Bobin, Matasis, thank you for joining us today. I'm sure Evan Watkins will be back on the next episode with a lot to say as well. Enjoy your week. Enjoy the game. If you're going to the game, have fun. Last home game of the year. It's tough senior day. Yes, yeah, senior day. Show some respect for the seniors. You know, giving a lot to the program. Could be your last time seeing Justin Fuente coach in person. I don't know what that means to you. Either way, enjoy it. Enjoy Blacksburg if you're going. Enjoy the game on ACC Network. If you're not, we'll talk to you next week. Until then, go Hokies. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.